All right, let's get started. I apologize in advance for my squeaky chair. Sometimes that's just the way it is. Okay, and I need my little magnetic strip. All right, it begins. Torturous process. I was hoping I'd never have to complete. Can Canadian Computer Collector and Comedian Dan Hewen answer 100 questions in five minutes to win the manageable money shot? All this plus the hip at the Junos on this episode called Dan Hewen Shouts on Apples. <laughs> The Manitoba Money Shot Podcast with me, Ronald George Moore. Jake, are you there? Alan Reed, I'm here. Rock on. Hi, Jake. You figured out how to Zoom. Hey, man, when the president of the Canadian Junos wants a meeting, I Zoom. The Junos are excited to welcome the Tragically Hip back for our 50th anniversary year. Very excited. Well, the boys are cool with it, and they just want to play, of course, and... As their manager, I want to make sure we have the perfect vocalist who's going to give a great tribute to Gord Downey. May he rest in peace. Yes, R.I.P. Gord Downey. Can they hear us? No, they're on mute. As you can see, I wrangled Canada's top talent down to four finalists. They're eager to audition. Okay, let's get rocking. First up is Stephen Page, formerly of the Bernigan Ladies. Okay, go ahead, Stephen. First thing, we climbed a tree. Then maybe then we talked Oh, sit silently And listen to our thoughts He's too deadly do right Okay, okay, thanks, Stephen. We'll get back to you. Mute. All right, Jake, next we have uh, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Alan. Uh, thank you, Jake, for having me. Uh, Okay, I'm ready. I know Gord's looking down and uh, he's thinking, do a bang-up job, Justin, my best friend. Here goes. It gets so sticky down here. C'est devient tellement qu'ils ici. How many languages is he gonna... Okay, thank you, Justin. No, uh, wait, I can say it in 50 uh, languages... Plus, I've learned to uh, perform sign language for the uh, non-ear moist. That's fine, Prime Minister. Uh, next, we have Don Cherry. He's been talking for the last five minutes on mute. Unmute. At the theater. And that's when Ty told me, turned to me and said, get your own damn popcorn. Oh, hey. Hey, Alan. Hey, Jake. Don Cherry here is ready to make his second debut. Bill Barilko disappeared. That summer, he was on a fishing trip. Oh, that reminds me when Mario Lemieux and I were fishing in Lake Ontario. I called him a tubby and he bit me in the leg. Uh, no, we're not supposed to do. Two minutes in the penalty Okay, Don, box, we'll let I you know. Said. Thanks. Um, next up is Fred Penner. Everyone loves Fred Penner. Hey, guys. Hi, Fred. It's good to be here. I've come a long way from my living room. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, whenever you're ready, Fred. Okay, well, here we go. Now don't tell us what the poets are doing. Don't tell us that they're talking tough. No, He's just don't singing tell Jackie. Uh, Fred, let's try another song. Got another one? Yeah, um, sure. Escape is at hand for the traveling man. Escape is at hand. No, that's, that's fine. Thank you. We'll let you know, Fred. Okay, what are we going to do? We can't use any of these guys. I got it. Let's just call Feist. That sketch goes on and on, but I gotta go because it's the Mantle Money Shot podcast, and today's guest is Dan Hewen, a comic. Uh, he's one of uh, Winnipeg's new school original gangster comedians. We, he talks about improv, radio, sketch, stand-up, the host of Week Thus Far, and now the new host of YouTube, his YouTube channel called Canadian Computer Collector. Same name on Facebook. It's at Dan the Hewen on Instagram, and the clips I used are on my Twitter. <laughs> Let's do this. We're rolling with Dan Hewitt. Yeah. Dan Hewitt. I haven't seen you in a long time. Well, <laughs> aside from your YouTube channel, I mean, in live. Well, it has been flesh. a while. It's yeah. been, um, 
probably a little extra long than the pandemic too, um, as you know, I haven't been out as much to uh, comedy stuff. So, been yeah. a dog's age. Let's start right at the beginning. We're just gonna go because uh, I don't know, but I would, I kind of assume you're a Winnipegger, born in Winnipeg. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Born and raised. What part of the city were you were you living in? Like your your beginning, your early well, years. So we moved around a bit. So like my parents got divorced when I was fairly young, like four years old. So we lived in South Osborne up until that point, and then yeah. my dad's always lived in Saint Patel um, and Charleswood. Like his stores in Saint Patel, his houses in Charleswood. Right, but, and the store uh, is uh, Mike's Antiques. Mike's uh, Mike's General Store. But General it is Store. Mike's store. General Store. Yeah. yeah. And where was your mom living? Uh, my mom, we were Southenders. So we moved around a little bit. And then Fort Gary is basically where I spent my childhood. Uh, like right around, you know, the McGilvery and Pemina Highway area. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's went to uh, Vincent Massey High School. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. You went to Vincent Massey. I didn't know I that. Did, yeah. And actually, that's where I learned my love of comedy. I'd always been... Um, someone who loved comedy. Like I used to live for Conan O'Brien and watching kids in the hall and Saturday night live and mad TV and all of that. And I, I watched um, a little bit of standup, but it was always like the standup that was available to Canadians at that time, like in the ni- late nineties, early two thousands, you know, like comedy at club 54. And right. Like, Classic you know, show. They played yeah. just for laughs reruns all the time. And just for laughs was fantastic. The uh, comedy at Club 54 stuff was so dated, though. Like, sometimes you'd even expect them to, like, shoot water out of a a corsage at the crowd, you know? Like, it just was so (laughs) 80s. Um, For sure. And so I was always at school, you know, dicking around during class trying to, oh, my God, my voice cracked. Uh, Dicking around. (laughs) We're talking Uh, the early years. (laughs) Yeah. Dicking around during class trying to, like, make people laugh and figure out what actually is funny versus what, you know, is what people think is funny, but doesn't end up being so in practice. You know, right. like you see it all the time in stand up, right? Like people will try it out for the first time and, you know, try and be all 100% edgelord. And they're like, this should be funny, but no one's laughing. You know? <laughs> right, right. So you're uh, kind of then, the class cut up. Is that what you're saying? Like you're sort of like, I, I always got in trouble for talking to other students all the time and cracking jokes and stuff. And then um, in high school, though, I took, uh, uh, the drama class, which was taught by the improv instructor who also ran the improv team and stuff. And I learned how improv was done. And she was a purist. She was all about like, <clears throat> you know, don't go for the obvious joke. Yeah, It's always funnier if you dance around the obvious, you know, like here's how you do long form stuff and be interesting versus like, you know, how CIG improv is just like, you know, here's 14 kids. We're so wacky and crazy. You know, right. and like it all happens in four minutes. And when it's over, you're just like, what the hell just happened? You know, like. So you <laughs> went uh, representing Vincent Massey? Uh, once. The first year I was on the improv team, we decided not to because we wanted to just practice long form improv that we felt, because uh, we were a little snobby, we felt was better than what the CIG was doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the next year, because that turned into nobody caring and then nobody showing up, uh, the next year, we're like, all right, we're back in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, the audience demands it. That's where you go, right? Well, you know, we just, we had, like, like the team wouldn't even show up, you know? Like, it would just be <laughs> no stakes at all. It would just be us playing hacky sack for an hour and a half and then going home instead of doing anything, you know, meaningful that we'd set out to do, so. Right, and the uh, teacher was uh, Margo, right? Margo, yes, Margo uh, Kaler. Margo Kaler, Kaler uh, was a fantastic uh, instructor really like sold the the fun of doing comedy yeah you know? okay while she she wasn't someone who would go up and perform herself she was the person behind the scenes that was like yes this is funny like this is how you be funny and 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 you know what she sometimes she could be a harsh teacher you know like if you went for an obvious joke in a scene she'd be disappointed right and and you would talk to her afterward and she'd be like you're smarter than that and then you'd be like all right you're right okay and so it was actually a great experience and and having three years sort of uh with her influence was huge for me i never ended up going that deep into improv after high school like i i farted around with friends and we had some sketch groups and stuff uh, but we were never organized enough to be, you know, a part of the festival in a meaningful way. Right. I didn't know if improv was really going to be the one for me because, <clears throat> you know, when you're young and you're you're like 
18 or 19 and you're like, oh, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, especially now with so many parents being like, you're brilliant. You're so talented. You should do this for a living. Uh, you think, oh, well, how do you earn a living doing the thing that you love to do, right? That's your first right. question. And sure. I grew up watching, you know, stand-ups and late-night TV and stuff, but I didn't grow up watching competitive improv scenes or or improv scenes in general, really. I watched Whose Line Is It Anyway? And that's, you know, like scratching the surface of improv. Yeah. That's not and really... And even then, that's like 40 years, 50 years after the art was, you know, first presented on <laughs> yeah. stage. It took that long. Well, exactly. And so I just felt like if I become like the improv guy, you know, I don't really see a whole lot going on for me. Um, <laughs> and then mistakenly, I thought I'll just become the stand up guy instead. Um, and, you know, you, there's a there's a good argument there for like, if you are trying to make a career in comedy, you know, stand up is probably the way to go. Uh, if you're looking to get to earning a living at some point. Yeah. Cause um, you can make all the decisions for yourself. You don't have to, you know, pass it yeah. to a board or collaborate. And not only that though, there are businesses that are set up, uh, that, that keep that art form alive, right? Like comedy clubs exist to pay acts to entertain and people buy tickets, right? Like right. there, there's, there's a few places that might do that full time for improv, but like certainly not in Winnipeg uh, right, to the yeah. degree that a place like Rumors or Yuck Yucks would. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'll become a comedian. Um, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I think uh, what one thing that I learned over time and, and um, you know, about myself especially is that um, I, I did a lot of thinking about it and I thought I'm really enjoying stand-up, but it feels like I'm kind of treading water here, like what's going on. And so I thought, well, why did I get into this in the first place? And I thought, well, I really enjoy doing it. I love making people laugh. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to <clears throat> have a good life, you know, and be able to pay my bills and stuff like that. And um, I'm not saying that you can't do that here because there's lots of people that do. Uh, I'm just saying that I think that at that point in my life, my work ethic and my mental state didn't really, you know, <laughs> set me up jive? to be this like super organized <laughs> businessman who's selling a product that's harder to sell than a lot of things, right? right so like, sure. um, I just wasn't the right guy at the right time to make it my career. Yeah, I'm it was sure just what you like, love doing and you wanted to do it. But as far as yeah. like, you know, turning into a whole business side, that's, that was a whole other world. Yeah. And you know what? I made a lot of friends doing it and I don't regret any of it. I think it was awesome. If I, if I could have changed anything going back in time, it's, I would have gone to college <laughs> maybe <laughs> seven years earlier than I did. Yeah. <laughs> Cause <laughs> then <that> started. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Cause after high school, well, at some point you met Tim Gray and you started doing some sketches here and, and that's, that's what right. I wanted to, to jump in there and a radio show, right? Yeah. So no. Tim Gray and I met in U of M. Uh, we went to University of Manitoba and this was during uh, an awesome point in Tim's life when he was still wearing a full red Dickies suit, including a bandana. I mean, if you looked at this kid, you were like, I didn't know that the bloods ran in Stonewall, but (laughs) (laughs) immediately you were attracted to this guy. You're like, this guy, Well, no, you know what it was, is we were in a play together. Tim was actually a year ahead of me in the theater program. And we were both in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And we kind of quickly figured out that we had like similar senses of humor and mm-hmm. you know he liked to laugh I liked to laugh and uh we ended up starting a little improv team like the U of M improv team um and you know it had existed before and and I think there wasn't a ton of shows going on they weren't really performing a lot and and so we ended up joining with like Caitlin Curtis and a few other people oh, and wow. we we jived for Probably about a year we would do the odd show or, you know, but we practiced like once a week, which was fun. Right. Um, On the university grounds, like it's all university. Yeah. Yeah. At the campus. I was a bit of a a douchebag at the time too. Like I I wasn't. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Like you had an attitude? Well, no, you know, like I, I, I was a, a young white kid from the South end who had very little adversity and so you know the jokes that i would make are what you would call edgelordy <laughs> these days uh and not a, not especially funny to everyone <laughs> okay. I like i wasn't sure. racist but like i wasn't classy i'll say that so sure um bit of a learning curve there i was also very much at a point in my life where i was like young and didn't give a shit and i was like oh, who cares you know like 
why is everyone making such a big deal out of exactly this? it's just a joke <laughs> yeah exactly not learning the nuance of comedy but that's all part of the journey of learning it right like if you've yeah. been in you've been around humor for a long time you kind of realize that um a lot of it is universal like it's just the way i look at it is it's kind of like a spectrum Mm-hmm. And depending on how much time you've spent caring about it and paying attention, you move along this sort of meter, right? So, like, right. you'll see people um, at work, for example, who tell jokes that maybe you told in grade eight. And you're like, oh, he still thinks that's funny. He's still down here, you know? <laughs> okay, and, then sure. you, and then you meet someone who's done stand-up for 30 years and they're a genius. And, and like, you know, when you, re- when you meet them, you realize, like, I thought I was way over here it turns out i'm like way back here and this guy's way down here you know yeah and yeah. so you're like i want to get to that point where my mind is that quick and 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 the jokes are making sense all the time and i'm not saying things where people are like well it was, everything was funny up until the last bit you added on you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. you know you avoid that you become this well-rounded funny person and i i always thought that that's what you should be right that's what i thought every comedian was i didn't you know, initially I thought every comedian's a genius just rattles off a new set every time. That's what you should be. And, yeah. you know, you learn. You that must that. have your preferences of what comics you liked and comics you didn't like. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Which ones did you like? Which ones were your favorites growing up? I'm trying to think back to like the old Just for Laughs and stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, I was I'd always lose my mind when I'd see a kid in the hall on on Just for Laughs. Scott Thompson did tons of stuff on there. And I, I always loved that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin McDonald was a, a huge influenced me and i remember when he moved to winnipeg i was like oh <gasps> yeah sadly we never had him on week thus far and i think when he first moved to the city um he wasn't doing a lot of publicity stuff and then i think things changed a bit over time but uh we'll get to he's warmed up enough to hate winnipeg as much as you know the rest of us yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but yeah and i would say though like in my formative years like like high school figuring out how to make people laugh in class without alienating everyone <laughs> um i'd say probably dave Chappelle. i thought was hands down the funniest guy ever <laughs> oh for sure yeah yeah and still yeah. is right yes. still, still killing so it so funny i mean i know not everyone loves him because he says things that aren't always popular but like you know the, the uh, most of what he says in my opinion i was like well oh, he's right but <laughs> yeah right on um yeah, okay, so getting back to Tim Gray, so you, you started a radio show. That's right. So we would do a half-hour-long radio show episode where oh, Tim no. and I would just kind of scratch out sketches and record them in the studio. And it's UMFM. That's right, yeah. Uh, and admittedly, like, I probably could have been more present in the beginning. I was dating someone at the time. <laughs> you know how it is when you're young. Girls and, and women, yes. Eventually, I was like... Uh, you know, I broke up with that person. I was like, all right, comedy. And so um, (laughs) Tim had already had the ball rolling on the show that we talked about. So I just hopped on board and we made lots of fun sketches. And, and, and then we, was it pre-recorded? Was it live? Was there a call-in show? It was was pre-recorded. The whole thing. It was a half hour. Yeah. We had, um, we had a segment called news is Swen or no Swen is news spelled backwards. And then we would just read the news it was obvious that we were cutting our teeth in writing jokes. Like okay. not everyone hit. <laughs> right. The only joke I can remember from that was um, Renee Angelil, like Celine Dion's husband got in trouble for betting on dog fights. And then I remember I said, what has for comment? He said, God makes dogs fight. I just bet on them. <laughs> Thinker. That's <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Yeah, and then we ended up doing video sketches, actually, because Tim's brother um, got a digital media design certification, and yeah. so we did these little video sketches under Gray Area of Comedy and put out a DVD, and yes, we did the a DVD show. Yes, still at, have um, the DVD. It's, uh, it's awesome. I got records for sale. You need records? Uh, you bet your boots. I got records. I got records. You need records? You can come against us. You bet your boots. We got vinyl. James Bond, 13 original themes, bitch boots. So you got a couple ghosts. I have a couple copies of it still too. I used to have 
like tons of them. I think Tim used to just be swimming in them. <laughs> um, but I remember uh, we got them stamped at some weird little place in an industrial park. And like they were barely ready before the show we did at the gas station theater, which to present the DVD and do some comedy um, was like a big release party. And it was really fun. And actually, For oh sure. my God, speaking of things you can't do anymore, I'm pretty sure that that show was called gray area of comedy back and blacker than ever because i think we were we were like spoofing the name of another comedy album i can't just can't remember which one it was Is that chris rock i think so yeah. yeah something it was just the stupidest like stupidest name we could have given it but but it was it was a great show and lots of people came out and nice. and that was a blast you know it felt like we were really making moves finally yeah was, yeah creating yeah, a buzz of, yeah totally that eventually it seemed like somehow did it morph into week thus far or like then um, you started doing stand up after that or stand up was definitely well, in there. yeah like it it kind of basically gray area of comedy is what pushed us into the local stand up scene <clears throat> so tim did a couple shows uh first um then told me it was a blast so then i came out and i watched one and uh when i say watched i actually just heckled tim for like five minutes thinking that i was being hilarious and it was it wasn't so planned or anything no 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 it was i thought i was so funny and then ryan mcmahon and john duff were like uh who the fuck are you like get out of here like <laughs> so never come back this would have been the king's yes head. it was the king's head so Tim told them that I was his friend and they told him like, tell him he's not welcome here. And then I felt like such an idiot. And then uh, I ended up, I can't remember what the first thing I did, but I think I did like a little character thing or something for one of the Comedy shows. Music. And I apologized to them and I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I totally didn't mean it. But actually we had to keep showing up. Like this was before open mics were in Winnipeg. So we, to get on a show, you had to become an audience member. So you would come to the show, you would watch it, you would laugh, you'd sit in the front row. Whenever someone picked on you, you were a good sport about it. You'd get up at the end of the night, have beers with the producers, tell them that you love comedy and you'd love a chance to try it. They'd give you like two or three minutes. If it went well, yeah. <clears throat> you're welcome back for another five, right? Right. So um, there was there's a respect element there and i think a lot of that's lost now that and it drove like, me crazier at a comedy show when you know there's like stand-ups one goes one goes out up do their thing then they get off stage and they just con they talk and talk and talk about you know what they did while other people are performing and just interrupting the flow of the whole show and oh that drove me nuts I've seen it too many times <laughs> <clears throat> well and it happens a lot and and i think uh, that's also one of the challenges as a guy running the show, right? Like if you're, if you're a show producer, um, you got to keep people quiet too. Like there's a lot going on in their minds beyond like, have I given this new person enough stage time? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, you, you're doing stand up and uh, obviously successful enough to be part of the Winnipeg comedy fest. Uh, as you, you know, we talked yeah, about it took a little time. I'm, I'm still pretty embarrassed by how my set went in that local show. I mean, it could have gone a lot better, is but that why I, I can't find it online. You know, yes, it is. It's <laughs> hidden. It used to be online, but you know, I, it's a funny story about that though. So the first year I was involved with the fest, um, I was a volunteer and I just, worked the backstage at the gas station. I met all my heroes from Canadian television and, and it was the coolest thing in the world because of the dynamic was still warm, right? I was the guy right. who got beer for everyone. I was the guy who got him snacks, drinks, everything, you know, like I met John Doerr and I was like, I had an armful of beer bottles and he's just like, what's your name, son? And I'm like, Dan. And he, and like when he came to Winnipeg the next time, he, you know, he's like, shoot me a text. Uh, we'll meet up after the show. You know, like it was the coolest experience. Um, and then I was like, wow, this, this whole experience, this is a blast. So then the next year I ended up getting invited back. So I guess I'd done more shows or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I, three hours or I think four hours before the show, I separated my shoulder. What? <laughs> Doing what? And then jumping, like I missed one of the stairs coming down the stairs and my shoulder had come out before. Oh, so shit. I missed one of the stairs and then I skipped like six of them and landed like hard on the floor. And then my arm just went, Oh my God. Like, oh! And so I went into shock 
And then I ran to Misericordia in the rain. (laughs) Only a few blocks from my place. And I was just like, (laughs) like a wounded animal, you know? And then they, they uh, got my arm patched up and I ended up sassing a nurse because she was, she was getting off on the fact that I, I had to go do a comedy show and I was hurt. She, so I kept saying like, I don't mean to push you guys, but like I have the offer first opportunity, like, that means something to me and it's about to happen in like three hours. Is there any chance we can get this back in? And then the doctor goes, yeah, we'll have you back in good shape. We just got to get it in. You might be a little dizzy, but you'll be fine. And I was like, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. And then the nurse comes back and she's like, you think you're going to go on stage after this? And I was like, well, to be fair, he's a doctor and you're a nurse. So, <laughs> <laughs> so rude. Good one. Like, but she was rude to me, you know, and I did go on stage after. It was fine. Exactly. I, I didn't that. do the, I didn't have an ideal set, but I was also coming off of heavy painkillers and had an arm in a sling. So. <laughs> oh, my God. So the audience was on your side as soon as they, you walked out in a sling, for sure. Uh, I, would, I think so, yeah. I just want to make sure we cover uh, week thus far, because uh, I, I was a huge <coughs> fan when it was airing. Still, I'm a huge fan. I love watching old clips of the show. So I wanted to get the backstory of how it was uh, created, yeah, how it sure. all came together. So um, I'll go all the way back to when I did sales at Shaw. So I got fired from Shaw doing sales because at a certain point, I just stopped caring. Uh, every month, <laughs> every month, they'd be like, here's your goal. And then we'd reach the goal and they'd be like, next month, we're doing double. And they did that like for months until the point where I was just like, they're like, this month, Again? you need to sell a thousand cable connections. And I'm like, how the fuck are any of us <laughs> supposed to do that? Right. So I just stopped caring. I mean, so I started playing Pokemon on my computer during the day. And like, I just, you know, I openly, I, no one just <clears throat> defined. I remember like our department manager walked up behind me once, just stood there, and I didn't even notice while I was playing Pokemon on my computer. And he just goes, <clears throat> and I'm like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> like I just, <laughs> and so I, like, I was mad when they fired me because I was a, an idiot. Well, you were uh, fired. But yeah. I got fired yeah. from Shaw and I thought I'll never, ever, ever be back in that <laughs> building. So I started hanging out with Craig because Craig, uh, who's the producer of the show, like, you know, we were both producers of the show, but Craig really was like the guy who put so much work and like time and like his soul into that show. Yeah. You'd be talking uh, to him during the show. Things. Craig put a graphic here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Craig, Craig had to do everything from the tech side and how he did it without killing a person is incredible to me. Craig is a saint, but basically, um, he started working in sales at the same time as I did at Shaw. So we'd start hanging out and, you know, we would, uh, a whole bunch of us would go hang out at his apartment and watch a bunch of dumb shows and laugh about it. And, um, and then eventually, uh, Craig bought a house. And so we moved into this house and uh, called a comedy house. It was Tim, Craig, and me at first. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, uh, you know, Tim and I would go out and do stand-up. Sometimes Craig would come and watch. Craig ended up meeting everyone. Everyone liked Craig. Um, and at the time, Craig had moved from sales to master control at Shaw because he had a background in coding. Right. So they said, you're obviously smart enough to handle this. We just need someone to make sure that the TV stations run, right? Like put out the guides every week, uh, make sure Shaw TV's airing properly, do mm-hmm. master control for live events. Uh, and so Craig ended up um, hearing that the CRTC had changed the laws for community access programming. And so what it used to be was you had to do 10-minute segments and rotate them throughout the day. And that's what it always was. You'd see Joanne Kelly, who's an instructor of mine at Red River eventually, you know, there'd be a 10 minute segment. She'd be at a mural or like something's happening at the forks and yes. you know, they roll them throughout the day. There'd also be like Tracy Koga and like, uh, you know, signal to noise with, um, uh, Bromley and like all these other shows were on there that were only 10 minutes long. Yeah. And so what the CRTC said is, um, all you do is produce shows in house about the community. So it's not really community access. It's television about the community. So what we want you to do is in the mix, add in 30 minute programs that are produced by locals. Yeah. So Craig found out and he goes, holy shit, we could have our own TV show. So he brings us home <laughs> and we're like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think we can. So um, we're kind of in the background doing a bit of work on it. Like and and actually, you know what? I might be getting my timelines mixed up. We might not have 
been living in the house together at that point, but I'm pretty sure we were. Yeah. Uh, but either way, when the show started, we were living there. Um, it so, certainly helps <laughs> to well, be all exactly, together. Yeah. yeah. So we, we put together um, a, like we needed a clip to show them and a concept. So I put on a crappy suit jacket and I did a stand up set at the cavern that was just like, you know, a Leno like news segment, which is yeah, just mono. easy jokes about the news back to back to back to back, which is like completely not my style of stand up comedy. But then Craig filmed it from the back of the room. We had a mm-hmm. clip. Uh, and then I came in for a meeting. And the guy who ran the station, Alan Sayeg, was a super cool dude. Um, very chill, laid-back guy. Lean mullet. Uh, really, <laughs> a lean really, mullet. You know, Magnum PI mustache. Like, this guy Sweet. had yeah. it all. And so he's like, sounds good, guys. Let's do it. And Alan was kind of like, here's a blank check. Go make your show. I love it. And so I loved it. So, so... Wait, and you guys like, got I, paid to do it? We did not get paid. No, that was the budget. Like, the blank check was like, the budget. Take whatever equipment you need. Just do it. Do it all. Just make sure you bring the stuff back at the end of the night, and and we're good. So awesome. We ended up trying to find a location, and it, we we started with uh, Finn's Pub at the Forks. Yes. And what's really funny is uh, Finn's Pub kind of squeezed us out. Like they kind of screwed us and in the last minute we ended up going to the king's head who took really good care of us i think it well, was reflected in the show <laughs> well and, yes it was and but what was really funny is that uh when Finns screwed us we did like a little ode to Finns where we basically like pretended to steal their recycling bin and then like office space it in a field and like gave them the finger and all this stuff and then i got a job at wow hospitality like two years later who owned Finns pub and i was like oh sh- hope they never found out about that <laughs> you never heard anything i was doing their marketing afterward but it didn't nothing ever came up but yeah we started at fin, fin's pub that was great i mean one of the best memories of that place was um when we had fred penner ladies and gentlemen i am proud to introduce our next guest historically he goes down as the very first man ever to bake cinnamon buns here he is fred penner Here we are, Here we gentlemen. Are. Nice April to see you. April 14th, 2011, 12.41 p.m. April We're hanging 14th. out in the Den of the Beast. I request your friendship on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> November 28th. You did it again? 2011. Let me explain. Can I That's explain? Fair. That's fair. Explain it, please. You're not alone in your desire or your frustration of becoming my friend. (laughs) He was singing at the end of the show and he just did like five or six songs and the whole bar, even people who were there playing pool who did not give a rat's ass about anything we were doing. As soon as Fred Panner started singing, you know, the people playing pool, the bartenders, people watching the show, everyone just started clapping and singing along and like the whole bar was singing like Sandwiches Are Beautiful. A bunch of people who are like, you know, between 21 years old and like 60 years old, all right. together, loving sandwiches are beautiful. It Bikers was just, and nuns and oh, was, everybody. <laughs> Cats and dogs living yeah. together. Complete hysteria. <laughs> yeah, that guy's magical. He can just, he, he's, he turns the light on, right? Like, he oh, just yeah. can command well, a room. It's something about those, those children's performers. Like, Al Simmons is the same way. And I wonder if it's their generation of children's performance, because now stuff is like, I'm the guy who wears the green hat. And like, what right. color is this? And we're like, <laughs> you're like, what happened? You know, like it used to be about like songs and and you know hanging out. And right. anyway, so those guys are amazing performers. And whenever they were on the show, they always blew our minds. Basically, it was a sketch show done by all standups. Yeah. So what was really cool was um, in the beginning, you know, as the rumblings started coming out like, Oh, sounds like Dan and Craig are getting a show together. You know, people would say, Hey, do you need any help? And, and of course we did. Like we didn't have anything to pay anyone. Like none of us got paid. Like Craig and I didn't get paid. Um, the only guy that got paid was their sound guy because we didn't have a personal relationship with him. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. I didn't want to be there. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We had to hire someone for that. Um, but uh, the, the back end uh, production of everything was really fascinating. So I'll start with Craig. So Craig's process was, um, end his day of work at Shaw and then drive a van full of equipment to wherever we were filming mm-hmm. and then set it all up. And then we would help set up, 
you know, get everything together, get the whole thing going. Um, I would run over, uh, like the show schedule and some of the new stuff. Um, I could have done more of that, which I probably should have, because <laughs> I would screw up things from time to time. Um, and then, uh, we'd shoot the show, show would be finished. We'd load all the equipment back into this van. Craig would then drive it back to Shaw, unload right. all of the equipment. He would then order a pizza, upload all of the footage, and then cut the show through the night and start his next shift and wow. just keep going through. Holy and crap. he did that for four years. Wow. <clears throat> Unbelievable. So, because it would have to air for, I think, the Tuesday or, or the Wednesday. I, I, can't even, I can't recall at this point. Yeah. But, so Craig put in so much time. And then also, like, if old ball coach and I would dick around or, or John Wilson and I would dick around and be like, oh, could I get, like, a broccoli in my head? Oh, you know, yeah. he'd have to animate that. And it was so much extra work. And eventually, that's why if you watch enough of them, you realize, like, at a certain point, he stops putting things in our hands. <laughs> yeah. And you just hear him in the back, like, no. <laughs> Craig, right. can I get a... Can I get a piece of paper here? No. <laughs> but it was very much like SNL in the sense that uh, it was a weekly show, right? Like so. Yeah, so the, the writing process was that we would meet Saturdays with the whole gang, ideally at 10 o'clock, but, you know, we were stand-ups usually under 30, and a lot of people are hungover. And so we would get to Shaw. We would write at Shaw because they would give us a boardroom to write in. Oh, cool. And then everyone was supposed to bring five jokes and then we would read our jokes, whatever got the best pops, we would kind of narrow down and then workshop a little if stuff needed things. And then usually one or two people would have an idea for a film sketch. Um, so we would look at that, yeah. say like, can we film this today or does this need to happen at another point? <clears throat> and then same thing with like walk-on sketches during the news segment. You know, we'd say like, I had an idea for a walk-on, here's the script. And then you read through it and you go, oh, I like this. Uh, yeah, that sort of thing. And in the end, when I was going to college, I had to work on the weekends because I just didn't have enough money to eat or anything. And so, uh, you know, it made it difficult for the gang to kind of like have me there while we were doing the the writing stuff. And, you know, I, I wonder if part of that fed into why the show ended when it did, because there was never a point where I, I was able to come back before the show ended uh, on weekends. But Come back. I'm sorry. What do you oh, mean? Oh, sorry. On Saturdays for the writer's room. Oh, you like, couldn't. I would have to miss them because I would have to work when I was oh, okay. Okay. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. And, you know, that wasn't totally <laughs> fair to the group. And I, I understand that too. So what ended up happening is when the show ended, um, <laughs> like we'd always had a couple people who would leave each season and we'd add a couple more. And, you know, that's only natural. Not everyone wants to do that work for free, you know, because it was yeah. Saturday to write it, Sunday night if you were part of the group editing, and then Monday all night. Even your uh, sidekick, Ben Walker, was uh, John Wilson. That's right. Yeah. There. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Ben ended up taking off because um, it was a lot. And, and you know, Ben has a really uh, good job with the government and it was suffering. And so he just said, you know what, I can't keep staying up late like this and, yeah. and all that stuff. So, you know, he, he took off and, and John replaced him, which was great. Um, the show was fantastic, I think, with both uh, co-hosts like I don't think uh, each one was very different but like in their own good ways it's also like y'all you got to live out your uh, Conan O'Brien fantasy of watching him well yeah and you know what like doing the talk show as as I got older too um and started watching more Letterman I started realizing like Letterman's really kind of I think where a decent amount of my sense of humor comes from you know what I mean like yeah like uh there's there's moments that I think back to that show where you know I could have handled things better, and then there's some where I'm like that was perfect. And yeah. and one of them was when we had Mark Forward on. Um, I'd done some research beforehand. I watched interviews with him, and I knew what he did. Mark Forward, when interviewed by the media, is an anti-interview. I so heard he this. Yes. Out, yeah, and they they come out and they say, "Hey, Mark, how's it going?" And then he's just like, "What kind of you know like what kind of shirt are you wearing?" You know, like he tries to throw them off. Yeah. So he came on our show and I said, Hey, how's it going? And then he just made fun of our set for like three or four minutes that it looked like shit. It looked like blood, like a river made of blood and, and shards of glass everywhere. And, and that it sucked. And you know, what, what, what idiot did you pay to paint this? And, and so many people were getting insulted and I knew he was going to do this. So then as soon as he stops, he looks at me, just kind of like your move motherfucker right so i was just like you ever own any interesting pets or no any cool pets do you ever own any cool pets and he's like what <laughs> and i was like yeah like you know 
anything. He didn't, out of he the didn't expect you to not acknowledge anything he just no, said. And then he started laughing because it was such a stupid question after he just poured like four <laughs> minutes of like anti-interview out. And yeah. then we kind of had a moment and then and things went well afterward. That was actually really funny. Another really good one too is we had Tom Segura on. How are you, sir? Welcome to Winnipeg. Gracias. Eh, <laughs> siempre impresionado estar aquí en el piso, el segundo piso, este bar, eh, tomando tragos en un bar con un... He came out and told the story entirely in Spanish about going to a brothel and only having $10 and that you would go room to room where each room had a woman with one less limb. Yeah. That he still couldn't afford until he got to a room and there was a woman with no limbs and it was $10. <laughs> and I didn't know what he was saying because it was in Spanish and it's not a, a national language in Canada, right? So like we right. didn't have to censor it. Um, but when, when it was over, he looks at me like same thing, like your move, man. And so then I pulled out a... Um, uh, super-sized bounty chocolate bar, you know, the one that has, like, three pieces of coconut chocolate in it? Yeah. And so yeah. then I tried to ask him in Spanish, do you have a coconut allergy? But then <laughs> it turned out I just said that I have a coconut allergy. So I went, tango una coconut allergy? And he's like, are you for real? And I was like, yeah, we're going to have some chocolate right now. And then he's like, you for real? You fucking allergic to this thing? Are you going to eat it right now? And I was like, no, no, I'm not allergic. And he's like, oh, thank God. And I was like, uh, so I, I got ball coach to, you know, pass the chocolate around. And then we sat there in silence eating chocolate. Yeah. And Tom, Tom Segura was laughing because it was so weird. And then I, then I was like, you know what? This is what summer's all about. Just hanging out, having a chew. <laughs> For sure. I only imagine people just flipping the channels, coming across and seeing the three of you just sitting there in silence eating chocolate. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, there are some really great moments of the show. Not only did I love uh, <clears throat> like the uh, the jokes of the the news here come the news or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. I like the 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 special episodes that were like uh, like kind of a mini movie. You know. Oh yeah, we did some really great. cool stuff. Like we did a couple Halloween specials, and actually I was chatting about one just the other day because friends of mine were talking about like the death of the zombie walk, and I said that's the one. I love. <clears throat> you know, like I'm not a big fan of the zombie walk, but when we had our show. Um, there was one year when they went down Broadway and then ended at the legislature. So our friend Dan Robertson had a crane for a camera and we just rocketed down to the ledge, set up the crane, uh, got the shot of all these zombies coming in going. And then we did like a time-lapse of it and added, you know, police flashes. And that was like our final scene. Um, but we did like a 30 minute movie about like people getting infected. And like John Youngberg was like an evil scientist who had, uh, this like, potion that converted people into zombies and, yeah you know uh we treated it kind of like a scooby-doo mystery actually jd renault was literally scooby-doo <laughs> that's right <laughs> it was, uh it was it was so much fun and then we did another one um shortly after like the year after that was like ghostbusters it's called ghost roasters and yeah. uh, a bunch of local comics got killed and became ghosts and we'd suck up their their ghosts while they yeah. would try and roast us. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's a really good one. Uh, the, you uh, you had some also you had like the coolest uh, guests as well. Like uh, whoever was booking your guests did a great job. Like not yeah, only not Will only bands, you know, yeah. so it was Will, Will really Will did a great job. Yeah, Will was doing a lot of the booking on that show, like most of it, uh, quite frankly, and and he did a great job. And actually, one thing that um, and this isn't you know Will's fault at all because we just weren't thinking. Oddly enough, we weren't thinking about this when we started the show, is having local stand-ups instead of bands at the end of the show. And we only mm -hmm. started doing that in, like, the last two seasons. Right. Which I wish we'd done more of, because, <clears throat> quite frankly, all of us were stand-ups, and I think we would have loved that. I wish I'd done one, you know, but that probably wouldn't have gone down. But. <laughs> I did. I really enjoyed, like, because uh, that's what Tom Green was when, when he was first doing his show out of Ottawa. He would always have bands on, right, playing over the credits. And I always, like, thought, I was like, that's really cool. I always thought it was really neat being introduced to a local band you've never heard of, you know. I thought, oh, yeah. I like the band what? over the credits. Let me, let me tell you, uh, there's so much work involved in having a band play on a show. It's not like a stand-up where you're just like, is that loud enough? Here you go. <laughs> it's like how are the levels on a million things you yeah. know it's the band satisfied with that like there's a lot behind the scenes that goes on and that's why we had to pay that sound guy I, like we could have never done that on our own <laughs> for sure absolutely 
Um, the segue into like the computer stuff. <laughs> sure, let's um, do it. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say a lot of the uh, the weirdness that I would like to employ in week thus far, you know, like eating a chocolate bar in silence or asking someone about their pets or, you know, like just that kind of stuff. Um, that was the most fun part for me, right? Is is you have this forum and, and everyone's watching and uh, a lot of people think that in that moment, you have to put on like your absolute best face and you have to look good and say the right thing. And, and I think that that's not true. I think what people really want to see is who they're watching. Like a guy like Rick the Temp, I have no beef with Rick the Temp, but I also right. don't think Rick the Temp has a personality. So I would never want to be a presenter like that. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, you know, Rick the Temp's probably a fabulous guy off screen, but the way that his persona is, is that he will not show his personality, you know, he's going to just say the words, get the story out, that kind of thing. You might yeah. fart around a little bit, but like, you know, I like the idea of, of being able to just do weird stuff like that. Like in, in the computer videos that I do, you know, sometimes if a process that I'm doing is taking forever and I'm realizing like, Oh, this is going to really suck, you know, on camera, yeah. uh, you know, I'll try and throw something weird into it. Right. Like, you know, I, I read a passage from Angela's ashes at one point and then went, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like stared at the yeah. screen, like you're welcome, right? Like just, just stupid little weird things like that. The burping in slow motion, um, like it's a it's a, a retro tech channel, uh, but I feel like what makes it unique is that I'm probably the only guy doing a retro tech channel that has a background in humor and has spent time, you know, figuring out what's funny to me. Uh, and, and what makes people laugh, you know, when I'm belching it out. Right. Like, For sure. like a lot of the guys that do retro tech, uh, stuff on YouTube are that's brilliant. The thing. Retro tech. <laughs> well, yeah. Retro tech channels are huge right now. And, and a lot of these guys, like I said, are brilliant. Uh, and they have so much more knowledge than me. And part of, part of one of the things that I'm going through right now is, is, you know, that fake it till you make it feeling right. Like I don't, I don't have the expertise that a lot of these guys have. Some yeah. of these guys that run these channels are repairing CRT monitors from like 1981 using a machine built in the 60s. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself like, this is amazing. You're an electrical engineer, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> or you, yeah. you've worked on repairing technology all your life. Or maybe you worked in an Apple store for 20 years in the 90s, right? Like, or, or, you know, 80s, 90s. There weren't 20 years of 90s, but um, <laughs> like, no? there's, there's a lot of these guys who are coming at these channels with a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. And part of what my channel is, is like documenting my experience, learning about these things. Uh, so what I can bring to the table is a little extra humor and kind of a, a raw funky look at like someone not trying to be the bulletproof professional. Yeah. <clears throat> like but as far as like, uh, you're, you, you working with these computers was computer something you've always been, well, I guess you're that generation you grew up with computers, yeah, right? So Did I you was, just take them apart when you were a kid? Yeah, I was like a birth of the internet child. Uh, so like when I, I think we got the internet at home when I was in grade five uh, or grade four, possibly. Um, either way, Pokemon was huge. And <laughs> that's all I cared about was GeoCities, Pokemon websites. GeoCities, right. Uh, so, and talking about Pokemon with people on ICQ. Wow. Uh, so that was the generation I came up with windows 95, I think was the first operating system our family had. That was the generation I loved. I was very familiar with just unplugging crap. And like people would give my brother and I like, you know, the odd crappy computer when it was, uh, when it was not useful to them anymore. So we'd take all the Ram out and put it in our computers. Like, you know, we would just kind of mess around with it. And then I stopped caring about that stuff for a long time. Uh, and then eventually I built a desktop computer, which is in the corner there. See, that in itself is a skill that I don't think a lot of people have. It's not as common, I think, with, with different generations. And I could be wrong. You know, people can correct me if they want to. But the younger generations now are coming out with stuff like, you know, iPads and iMacs and, and these machines that are not meant to be opened and played around with. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering if... if Maybe some of that curiosity is being lost. I know there are young people who have even retro tech channels. And there's a kid who looks like he's 13 who commented on a video of mine recently. He's got a retro tech channel where he's like pulling apart plastic machines and fixing them up. And it's wow. great to see because this kid's younger than 
likely every single machine he's working on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's pulling, not a, pulling them apart's the easy part, of course. You know, it, it's the putting them back together. It's like that's well, the yeah. It, it can it can get complicated. And but you know what? I think <laughs> the, the reason that this all happened was because um, I spent I took a lot of time. Like I said, I'm not doing as much comedy stuff uh, now. I've spent a lot of time on my like starting and building my career. So I, I went back to college for advertising and marketing. And it's been a journey, you know, the yeah. first job I had paid 24 grand a year and they expected the world of me. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to get into other stuff now, but like that was just an example of how, you know, shitty it can be. So, yeah, um, I've been working hard on that. And I finally, you know, I'm, I'm not like a rich man, but it, like I'm, I'm able to pay my bills. And after like 10 years of, or eight years of stand up and working odd jobs, and not paying my bills and always being stressed about money. I'm finally mentally like in a place where I'm like, there's like no stress in my life and, and it's, it feels good. Uh, so, um, that's why I was like, you know what? I should, I should do something. And I, I'd been watching a shitload of videos about the birth of the PC and the birth of the internet while I was working. Like when I would yeah. do marketing work at home, like freelance stuff, I just put YouTube on and watch, you know, hundreds of videos over months uh, from just retro tech channels or, <clears throat> you know, like old broadcasts from PBS news that are like, it's 1994 and the internet is huge, you know, like just, <laughs> right. just vibing on this whole like old computers thing. Um, and then I, when I found those retro tech channels or where people were fixing them up, you know, I'd see some of them, you know, one month they'd have hundred thousand subscribers. And then like six months later, they'd have half a million. And, you know, like a year later, they'd have like 1 million or 1.2 million. And I was like, I bet you these people are making a good living from this. And like, right. well, while I'm not there, um, the nice thing about it is you have all these metrics you can see from the back, right? So, so long as you're regular, like a, you know, a good man with a lot of fiber in his diet, <laughs> yeah. uh, as long as you're putting videos out like weekly or biweekly or monthly, whatever it is that you're, you're, you're doing, YouTube will start to help you. So like almost half of my views now come from the algorithm because I'm just regularly putting out content nice. and I'm getting an average of about two subscribers a day. So while I'm not like, I have like 300 something subscribers now, you know, I'm not allowed to earn money until I have a thousand, but I'm seeing that, you know, there's like a little plant poking out of the dirt. Exactly. Know, like that, you know, it's, it's something I should be nurturing and yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And, and I think that that's really, really cool. And the fact that that exists in our world, I think is amazing. All right, let's do this. Matt's on money shot. I got a hundred questions for you, Dan. You got to answer them in five minutes, five oh minutes. Yeah. So here's my answer. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the thing you can't, I was just, there are a couple of rules here. You can't just blurt out what you just blurted out. It has to uh, somewhat make sense uh, because 90% of the questions have to be correct. Okay. Now, okay. of course, I'm not going to call you out as a bullshitter. I'm going to take everything you say as truth, unless it contradicts something you may have said in this interview. Sure. Um, yeah, it's easy. This or that, uh, fill in the blank. What's your favorite? Blah, blah, blah. That kind of stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, on that note, we'll uh, get started here. Tonight's money shot for Dan Hewen. <laughs> Dinero son diez dólares por los orocios. Saluda a Satanás. Name a Winnipeg movie theater. What? Name a Winnipeg bar. Uh, sandals. Name a Winnipeg restaurant. Wait, that was wrong. Uh, King's Head. Name a Winnipeg park. Uh, pass. Name a Winnipeg band. Uh, Brothers Landreth. Pick a number between one and ten. Two. Broccoli or cauliflower? Broccoli. Bananas or apples? Apples. Rice or potatoes? Potatoes. Favorite salad dressing? Caesar. Favorite soup? Uh, bean with bacon. Girls just want to have what? Trust. Boys don't what? Go to the bathroom well. <laughs> Name a Grammy winner. <laughs> the weekend. Name an Oscar winner. Uh, Robert De Niro. What would you buy at Dollarama? Uh, shovel. Uh, how do you, how do I like my coffee? Black. Favorite subject in school? Improv. Name a movie you purchased. Um, Big Mama's House. 
boy. Remember, remember the band Kiss? Uh, uh, Gene Simmons. Good. Name a Star Wars droid. Uh, R2-D2. What do you bring to the beach? Towels. Name a John. Uh, Youngberg. Name a Betty. Uh, Boop. Name a Chris. Uh, Cross. Name a Sarah. My ex. Name a Beastie Boy. Uh, um, skip, come back. Skip, skip, I know come that back. one, I just can't think of it. Uh, what goes in the freezer? Uh, meat. Name something round. Uh, circle. Do you have a driver's license? Yes. Do you have a fishing license? No. Do you have a hunting license? No. Name a painting. Ben, er, the scream. Name a book. Uh, foundation. Name a record album. The White Album. Name a film. Uh, weird Science. <laughs> Good one. Name a breakfast cereal. Uh, Reese Puffs. What do you put in an omelet? Meat. Name a Marvel superhero. Oh, uh, Spider-Man. Name a DC superhero. Batman. <laughs> what do you put in, on toast? Uh, peanut butter. Name a sport with a racket. Racquetball. How often do you shave? Uh, every five days. Can you play guitar? No. Can you play piano? No. Can you play a brass instrument? No. Can you play drums? Yes. Can you sing? No. Name a uh, black and white movie. Um, Metropolis. Name a 3D film. Avatar. Name a Manitoba city. Uh, Brandon. Name a Manitoba town. Manitou. Name a Manitoba road. Highway 59. Name a Manitoba lake. Uh, municipal Lake 1,400. <laughs> sure. Last concert attended. Uh, Skrillex. Name a Winnipeg jet. Uh, Bufflin. Name a Winnipeg blue bomber. Uh, pass. Name a Winnipeg mayor. The Glenn Murray experience. Name <laughs> a business on Corridon Avenue. A plus sushi. Name a business on Osborne, in Osborne Village. Spicy Noodle House. Name a podcast besides this one. Boston Muffler. Uh, name a dice game. Uh, craps. Favorite toy as a child. Warhammer. Favorite toy as an adult. Warhammer. Name a nut. Uh, one minute left. Shit. Peanut. Name a local beer. Um, St. James. Who does your laundry? Me. Mac or PC? Mac. Uh, name an actress from Charlie's Angels. Uh, Drew Barrymore. Name a, rea a reality show. Survivor. Name an SNL cast member. Uh, AD Bryant. Name a talk show host. Uh, Conan O'Brien. Uh, Facebook or Twitter? Facebook. Ring around the what? Rosie. Uh, did you, oh, really get a name of the, the, the uh, name of something blue. Uh, my eyes. Name something red. Blood. Name something green. Hatred. Name, no, something, <laughs> name something yellow. Uh, Max. New Max. Name something brown. Who? Name something purple. Ten seconds. Uh, Prince. Name something pink. Pink. Where do you find a flag? On a pole. How many money? How much money in your pocket? <laughs> One silver dollar. <laughs> That's it. Shit. Well. How close yeah. did we get? Let's see. Let's see. What do we got here? Uh, That's a lot 16. of questions in five minutes. Yeah, it really is. So I would say 75. Uh, you got 80, 86. 86. Mighty close. Yeah, Mighty that was close. The devil wins today. Dan, this has been great. I really appreciate your time doing the show. It's awesome. Thanks, uh, I love your new channel. I, I, I love getting that notification. So everyone subscribe and we'll get that algorithm popping off a little more. That would for be you. fantastic. Yeah. And actually there's a great video coming out this weekend. Uh, I'm celebrating 300 subscribers by reading to 300 in binary while wearing a chicken costume. <laughs> Why chicken? What's with the, lying around you know the house? What? It'll, it'll make a good thumbnail. <laughs> That's true. But yes, it was lying around the house. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Thanks again, man. All right. Okay, we'll talk to you later, Ron. 
Hey, thanks for listening. Make sure you tell your friends and family to check out the Manitoba Money Shot podcast. Where? On SoundCloud. Also on iTunes, on Stitcher, and Amazon. Follow the Manitoba Money Shot podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And we have an account on YouTube. Also, you can check out uh, patreon.com backslash Ronald George Moore. Help me out with a monthly donation. You get access to all the Tuesday tangles, all the Wednesday whack-offs, all the Friday foreplays, and a lot more. And remember, don't take five. Take what you want. <laughs>